activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome back to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast. My name is Daniel Wilcox, and here with me every single week is... Samantha Frost, that's me. Hello. Hi, Samantha Frost. How are you doing? How's your week been? Um, what day is it? Thursday, as of recording. Oh, yeah, because we do this every Thursday. Uh, I don't remember. I tell you, I tell you what this week has been, because if we're going to timestamp this as to what happened, the thing that wasn't before that suddenly is now is that Friday you called me with a suggestion. Yeah, I get into trouble for doing this. <laughs> Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> what happened on Friday? I called Dan and I said, oh, I've got an idea. And Dan does, is like, okay, what is there's, it? There's like a real visceral <laughs> stomach drop. Like, because I know that the ideas are good and I know that it's probably going to happen. <laughs> I know that it involves work. But... So much fucking work. <laughs> but, like, it's a good idea and we're not... Like, although this will have been in, in the ads on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, for those who are unaware, because this is going out on, I want to say, Monday the, hold, pause for effect, dun 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 dun, dun 29th. 30th. So there will be a couple oh, of... Oh, yeah, of course. There'll be a couple of days left for people who haven't uh, gotten involved. Mm-hmm. Not that that matters, because it is open all month. But yes, um, I, I said, I have an idea, why don't we run a Flash Fiction February? Um and and then we had a little chat and Dan was like why don't we publish an anthology and I was like yes this is all amazing and then it was like cool what do we have to do and then a list as long as an Andrex puppy nicking the loo roll uh, appeared and we have been I would say steadily but manically ticking things off since <laughs> and I'm exhausted and that's why I don't remember much of this week yeah, that's that's exactly why. And I will say, just for people watching this on YouTube, there is a lag on your video that comes and goes, Sam. But your audio is so. As long as we can speak, that's what matters. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of been um, my week as well. So we went from Friday, kind of kitting it all out, sorting out all the stuff, launched it all um, on Monday, just gone, and so we now have like, I think almost over a hundred people signed up. Um, to be involved we've got a bunch of people yeah, over in the facebook amazing. group getting ready getting chatty and getting involved um and so just for people who aren't familiar with what's going on what is flash fiction february sam oh god i'm i'm already i haven't even finished yet and i'm already like uh. <laughs> <laughs> um so basically flash fiction february is a writing challenge you are tasked with writing a piece of flash fiction every day um and if you sign up for the challenge you get the prompts directly into your inbox every morning so each day is a different prompt there will be a few challenge prompts in there so things that are obviously well a little bit more challenging 
Um, and from the moment that we send the email, you have 36 hours to write a piece of fiction, a thousand words or less, and return it to us to be in with a shot of being published in Activated Author's first ever flash fiction anthology, where all the profits go to charity, and that is World's Lands Trust. And it's not too late to get involved. I mean, obviously it hasn't started yet, but it's not too late to get involved at any point because the challenge is open all month so you just head on over there sign on up it's completely free and there you go can you tell that i've been making videos that was perfect that was thank wonderful. you so yeah it's um it's a challenge birthed <laughs> from the fact that you know that that beginner energy that comes from setting new year's resolutions all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff likely has started to peter out towards the end of january and arguably according to statistics about three or four days into january so um for those who are trying to build a writing habit those who want to just you know create some stories and have a bit of fun like every single day in february jump over into our facebook group talk to other writers you'll get your mm -hmm. prompts you can write a story and that's the amazing thing about flash fiction like up to a thousand words can mean you write a story in four so mm -hmm play with it, stretch, experiment. And um, for people who haven't written flash fiction or aren't really familiar with how it works, uh, I have written a blog all about how flash fiction works and why it's kind of amazing to do um, over on the Activated Authors blog. And one thing as I was writing that, I totally, I, I always, I've, I've, I've overlooked it is when the Other Stories podcast started, which for people unaware, that's um, a podcast that I co-founded with some people from the Hawk and Cleaver Story Studio, has since had 10 million downloads across a bunch of different stories. We published lots of different writers. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. When we first started, it was me and the three other guys, Ben Arrington, Luke Condor and Matt Butcher. And our original word count was a thousand words. So I hadn't even mm. considered the fact that that was flash fiction to begin with. And one of the I think that really was the ultimate playground to me trying to find my voice and trying to work out my genre and trying to like just see what I wrote as because my first story I distinctly remember being um, fresh off the back of reading Terry Pratchett's Color of Magic uh, and also his Blink of the Screen short story collection and so it's very cheeky it's really not that horror-y I've since rewritten it to make it darker um, but it wasn't very horror -y. it was very sort of light-hearted and quirky and weird and then my second story was a bit more almost like documentary style. And it really was an experiment in finding my voice. So like flash fiction as a form to just write something, play, experiment and see what connects with you. It's just a fantastic way to get over that initial um, bump as a writer. Because I think it's it's easy for people to be like, I want to be a writer. I'm going to write an 80,000 word novel speaking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that will teach you a lot. But I think you need to learn the mechanics of writing first. And flash fiction particularly is fantastic for that. Yeah, and I think where this challenge is kind of um, unique and like sets itself apart from things like Nano and stuff um, is that with a, a larger writing challenge, you are working on one thing consistently throughout the month to, to you know, hit that like huge word count goal. But with this, it's like shiny penny month. Yeah. Like you get to start and finish something like within i mean you, you have 36 hours but you know obviously i assume you'll be sleeping at some point during that please sleep during some point of that um so like you know like you say if it's really short you could start and finish in an hour or like in a few hours and you've it i love that feeling of like sitting down starting something and just doing it until it's finished mm -hmm. and like yeah shiny penny month it'd be 10 minutes yeah like who knows what kind of story you want to write and um just for people who are wondering so there's going to be a different prompt every single day so there's 20 mm -hmm. total um as sam says 36 hours to submit each story so there is a deadline for that but if you are joining late in the month if you're listening to this podcast and it's say the 5th of february or even like the 27th of february you can still get involved like yeah, it's not too late 
you don't have to tick off every single day. Obviously, the more stories you submit, the more chances there are of being in the anthology. But it's one of those, if you're coming late to this, it, just jump in, just go over to the website, get involved, yeah. and join us. Yes, please. It's going to be real fun. I'm really looking yeah, forward to it. I know. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm very excited to, like, properly sit down and just read a load of um, different kind of stories from different viewpoints. It's one of my favourite things about the creative brain is how like people just can get things from all different yeah yeah angles and one of the amazing things about because um this will be the fourth possibly the fourth anthology that i've put together now um one of the amazing things that i would recommend if anyone ever gets a chance just to like critique or read other people's work or just be because there are lots of um publishing companies that do look for what they call slush readers like people to help them read through yeah. submissions and stuff it's such a fantastic tool just to like speed up your process of learning you know what writing works for you what doesn't and trying to like see how different like say mm -hmm. how different people approach that particular um stimulus so like yeah something to to look out for um but yeah uh, all of that's over activatedauthors.com surprise surprise that's not the link let me start again activatedauthors.com <laughs> forward slash slash that's Which is right. to say, I've realised. I've done a couple of videos. I'm like, activatedauthors.com forward slash flash. Slash, slash, <laughs> flash, flash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you try saying, uh, welcome to Activated Authors Flash Fiction February. Flash Fiction February. At least that's not. <laughs> forward slash flash fiction. Wow. So what's your key takeaway for, <laughs> for this week? So my key takeaway is very closely bound to flash fiction February <laughs> um, and it's something that my son said um, and I can't remember the context but like he'd, he'd watched a video he'd seen something and he was telling me about it and he said the thing is people don't realize that you just every now and again he says something very wisdomous and the rest of the time he says highly inappropriate things but he said the thing is what people don't realize is that when you choose an action, you also choose the consequence. Just let that sit. Right. Mm. And I was just like, ah, oh, I do this to myself. <laughs> the reason I am so tired at the minute, Doesn't and a little bit grumpy from your own spawn. <laughs> yeah. Well, because like his, his entire life, I've said to him, like, every action has consequences and these are yours like whether it's negative positive neutral whatever like it's one of those phrases that when he's older he's probably going to speak to a therapist about because I say it way too much um but to, to yeah to have it kind of mirrored back in such a beautiful way I mean I'm pretty sure like 10 minutes later he like headbutted the wall and then was like why does my head hurt mm -hmm. I mean not exactly but you know what I mean <laughs> but I was it yeah it floored me so that is my key takeaway. When you choose the actions, you also choose the consequence. Yeah. There you go. Um, so what my, about you? Yeah. Yeah. So mine for this week um, is one of those ones that, like, full transparency, I'm not fully in a place to discuss um, a lot of it. But it's, um, I can't remember where I picked it up from, but it's it's been in a couple of things I've seen this week, which is, like, um, sometimes the most courageous thing you can do is ask for help. And there have been like a few things that I've been struggling with over the last week that are pretty big. Um, and for people listening or, or worried or anything like there's isn't there's nothing to worry about. Like I'm okay, but there's just like some big um, residual things mm -hmm. that I'm trying to like work through at the minute. So yeah, sometimes like 
asking for help is the best course of action and it's fun it's it's hard like yeah because there's um a real expectation sometimes and i think like particularly uh i will speak from like the male population like it's it's there's an expectation that you know it's the male that will prop up and will you know not crack and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. where we we know that's bullshit like and i know that's bullshit like lots of that kind of um pressure is the wrong word but like that expectation kind of like lingers and oh yeah societal pressure it's i think it's still very much there yeah so suffice to say working through some stuff um mm -hmm. yeah, just reach out and ask for help if you need it yeah i think that's beautiful and yeah. i completely agree like the first time i realized that you know it's actually it's the strong people can ask for help yeah and apologies if people heard that little mini burp that i tried to hide oh just pretend i didn't do it I think it happened at the same time I opened my sparkling water, so guaranteed there's going to be more little burps hiding. Hey, <laughs> just realised I haven't taken. <laughs> I just realised I hadn't taken my. I was like, probably get on that before I start to go loopy. Yup, yup, yup. Our win from the community this week comes from none other than Mr. Rob, who says uh, I survived the first day back at the day job after two weeks off. Small wins. Made some life decisions mm -hmm. that will bring the business forward faster than I originally planned for. Always amazing. And started reading a few new yes. books in my target genre to refill the well. So they like the triple whammy. Whack, whack, whack. Yeah. Can I just say it was really nice because we Rob was in uh, sprints today this morning. I hadn't seen him for a little while. It was really nice to see your face again, Rob. So if you listen to this, bring your face back more often, please. If you're not, why don't you listen to the podcast? Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, and if everyone's like, who's Rob? Well, then go watch the Christmas quiz episode because yeah. he's on my team and he's a legend. Yeah, yeah. His actual full, his actual name is Robin. I make a joke about it being Rob, Robert, Bobbert. Like, his actual name's Robin. You don't get many Robins these days. No. Dick Tracy. <laughs> not Dick Tracy. That's a detective. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> what is it? Oh, it is completely by the by. What is Robin's name? It's Dick something. I have no idea what you're talking about. Robin, Batman and Robin. Oh, um. <laughs> is it Grayson? No. Yes. Yeah, no. Grayson. Yes, maybe. Uh, uh, please let us know in the comments. I mean, I love Google by then, but. Real name. No, that's Robin Miriam Carlson. That's the singer. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm not moving on until we've done this. Uh, okay. Robin is a. Oh my god, it is Dick Grayson. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. I thought it was. Uh yeah, not Dick Tracy, which was a private eye. No, later uh, Nightwing, I believe. Um mm -hmm. anyhow, so into today's <laughs> question. Well, today's question is I can't remember the wording of it. Please remind me. What makes a good book cover? Thank you. Today's question <laughs> is what makes a good book cover? <laughs> okay, so this is one of those questions that um I do get a lot of, and it's one of the ones that is quite difficult to answer because um, getting a design eye or understanding how good a design works or is interpreted by a reader is a skill that you learn over time. And it's one of those mm -hmm. things that you train. Um, but there are some fundamentally useful bits of information that I can especially give during this episode just to kind of like help you move in the right direction of knowing what a book good book cover is and um, what a not so good book cover is. Um, before I kind of dive into some points, Sam, do you have anything you want to set up with or, or, or say on? Yeah, so um, I obviously, well, I say obviously, I I have yet to publish my first um, book is slated to be published 
um, later this year, hopefully two, but that might be pushing it. Um, so I've not currently been through the actual process myself. Like I've done a lot of research on it. I've read um, your notes on it in um, self-publishing blueprint. Mm -hmm. But as I haven't actually been through the process myself, I feel that it would be a little bit disingenuous for me to like sit and list through points and things. I definitely have some opinions on stuff and I will chime in because that is my prerogative, my want and just my general nature. But uh, I think for the most part, I shall sit and nod while you talk. So talk. Yeah, I, and I will add as well, <laughs> as, a, as a painter and an artist, like you do have a fair amount of um, knowledge on, you know, design and, and creation and stuff. The, I, so I think the, the way to set this up is like to, to answer the question simply, what makes a good book cover? And the, the answer can only really be it's a cover that sells to the reader. Um, mm. converts from what is this book into? I want to read this book. And the old adage, never judge a book by its cover is absolute fucking bollocks because it's bullshit, mate. That's what they're for. What's the point in having a book cover? Like if you're not going to judge a book by its cover, why isn't every book cover just black? just plain black or gray or white or red or whatever like don't even bother with the title just no. like pick a mix you just well this through, one might be good you just walk through the odeon or the cinema of choice and every poster board is just white and just like text <laughs> on it. it just says like batman or the whale or whatever like i'll go to screen seven to see the white poster please yeah are you yeah. sure it don't mean screen eight no uh, <laughs> yes no what <laughs> but that's the point like you know your book cover should be exciting it should pull a reader in it should be something that converts and gets them to go like i want to read this book this looks exciting um this meets my expectations and you'll notice that kind of a theme that's emerged from a lot of like the past episodes on like tropes and genres like expectations is a very big word and yeah. the reason for that is because there's already expectations in place of what people would like to see from the books like there's a reason when you go into a bookstore and you go to like the ya fantasy section that loads of the covers look somewhat similar Mm -hmm. and there's a general theme and there's a general placement and at the minute like i've noticed and i'll, I'll say like fantasy particularly why fantasy isn't my my blend my, isn't my genre um but even i can see that the trends over the last few years have gone from having very sort of like character-led covers into now just being focused on the text and the the fonts and the iconography and and how that all works um yeah much those silver art. like almost like silver blady kind of text yeah. on a lot of fantasy with like a few random bits dotted in around that either have something to do with the title or the story yeah just really i meant typography not iconography um but yeah so all of that to say like there is although book covers on the whole can be subjective there are again expectations and boundaries or parameters within what readers expect and what will sell mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned like in the self-publishing blueprint i do have a full chapter on book covers and i use a couple of specific visual examples of mm -hmm. how some of this can work um but broadly speaking, again, saying very, very top level at the minute, a book cover, what's the, what's the phrase that I normally use? It's like your book cover is a book cover, not a piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. So, and I, again, like all of this, I'm speaking from experience because when I first picked up, you know, writing seriously in sort of 2014, I started to look at book covers and things and like anyone that wants to go on my Instagram and like has the time to scroll right down to the bottom can see my journey into how I understand book covers because I, I started making my own. I started playing a bit with design. I picked up Photoshop and started doing bits and pieces. And my first ever novel, um, which was called uh, A Clockwork Rose, which was never released, um, was a kind of, yeah, because it was like five different genres and it was just- a And it was called A Clockwork Rose. It was called A Clockwork Rose. And there's a reason for that, which is quite sweet, but we won't go into it. Um, but the point was, it was like quite a, an edged cat and mouse thriller 
type thing. And so I remember creating a cover that was, I thought, very, very pretty. And even in hindsight, I'm like, actually, like, as a piece of art, it looks nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but like now with a much more experienced eye, I'm like, that would never have converted or told people what that story was because like the image was wrong, the text was wrong, the colors were wrong. And uh, Zach Bohannon, who's um, like, um, I'm happy to say, like a friend of mine who I've kind of been swimming in the same circles with for a fair few years. I remember at the time he was a couple of years ahead of the journey on the, the me and we chatted a couple of times over um, Instagram. And I put that image up on, on the Instagram and just went like, I'm so excited. This is a cover for my next book. And uh, he put, well, what, what genre? What are you trying to achieve with it? And I told him, and he just went, well, it's wrong. And it was one of those things where at the time I was like, I spent ages on that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it looks really good. He was right. He was absolutely right. And, you know, besides the fact that the story is never going to be released because it was just like my first book that I needed to get out and it's nothing to what I write now. Um, the cover and that lesson itself was like, oh, like there really is a difference between art and book covers. Um, anything on that before I plow forward? Well, I think. I mean, obviously, I completely agree with you. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's very easy to kind of lose yourself a little bit you know your story really really well um by this point I mean well I said that like if you know you're getting your book cover once you've kind of been through all the processes I know some people like to get them first um but just because you know it really well it doesn't mean that that like niche reference that you're gonna like make into the cover is gonna translate I think sometimes people either go way too um subtle or they're so scared that like the the book cover is going to ruin the whole story for the reader that like it it has nothing to do with the book and there is a reason people say like a picture tells a thousand words and that's the entire point it is an advertisement for what's inside and you wouldn't buy like a box of cereal if it had a toaster on the front (laughs) no so like you know it's just it's just a case of knowing that you have to kind of be a little bit obvious a little bit on the nose and that doesn't mean it has to be like cheap or tacky or anything like that just I think by just literally walking into a bookshop Mm -hmm. and looking on the shelf at books that are in a similar genre to you you will get like a feel for what the reader expectation is at this moment for that genre and then you can take that and put your own spin on it while keeping it consistent with you know what your readers are going to buy like they're not you can't reach people without them knowing what it is that they're trying to get no so yeah don't don't draw a toaster <laughs> flakes Absolutely. I guess is what i would say yeah so the the place to start if you're kind of new into book covers or if you're even playing around and you're not quite sure that you're there um we spoke again, like a lot of these lessons come back to an area of publishing that I think is just vastly overlooked, especially when you're writing your first book, which is market research. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this goes back to our tropes, goes back to our genres, everything else, because if you can nail down everything that you need to know about the thing that you want to write before you start doing it, like just this whole process becomes easier. Um, and again, this is speaking from someone that didn't do that for the first like couple of books that I put out. And like my first book covers aren't anywhere near as sort of targeted and focused and as well converting as they are now because it was a journey I had to go on to you know see what that was and to experience it um but in in the market research you want to really really just get 
just overly familiar with every single type of book cover that is in your genre because there will be a range um but there will be massive similarities across the board of of what there is that you can see um visually so like a good place to start amazon go into amazon type in like for me i can type in cosmic horror and i can see like all the different styles of books that are coming out in that style and kind of like try and look at um the rough things that are on all the books you know if you're writing cozy mystery there's an expectation there um and i'm lax to kind of say some of my assumptions in these because i'm not in that genre but i like cozy mystery i believe there's a lot more like illustrated and cutesy sort of colors and pastels and stuff um versus your thrillers which are very sort of um what they call sans serif fonts so without all the embellishments they're very sort of straight sharp letters normally like a silhouette on the front and some like beach or lighthouse or dramatic sort of scenery behind in in quite um contrasting colors yeah Um, obviously fantasies a lot more ornate you'll get like probably much more custom illustrations sort of images and things like that um so it's really diving into what your genre is like I, I can't emphasize like how much easier it makes the rest of your life if you can nail down your genre and once more this is speaking from someone who has gone around the houses um quite a lot himself so like yeah if you can look that up just what i what i tend to do is i do tend to find um writers who are writing similar to what i believe i'm producing even before i've like written the story i'll have like a, a nugget of what that could be um and i'll go on to their books, I'll copy their covers into a Word document. So I've got like a visual represent- representation of what they are. Um, I'll then probably go into their also ports. So for people who mm-hmm. are that, like on uh, the Amazon pages that will have like a little carousel underneath, which shows what readers of that book also bought. So normally there's sort of like a crossover between the types of books there. Um, see if there's any similarities. And also very, very specifically, anything that pulls my attention. Yes. Not every cover is going to be great, but if you're looking at one going, oh, that's like that really caught my eye. Really pay attention to that, because if it's catching your attention, it's likely it's going to catch someone else's attention who likes the things that you do. Mm-hmm. So I, I will literally and I've got like loads of these on Notion for different Notion for different things, um, just like boards of just different books just to see the covers. Um, I've seen them. Yeah, There's so many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then once yeah. you've got that, you can then kind of like take a, a bit of a step back and start to look at what it is about those covers Mm -hmm. that you like and you'll see the similarities um and that really is just a strong place to start to see what your ideal book cover will look like yeah i'm gonna keep doing these pauses because i don't like i'm I'm conscious that sometimes i speak fast and i don't want to like just pow through information um i was just gonna say i was just thinking while you were talking um about that i think when i first started looking I think I realised that I knew if if you are a book reader yourself, like you will subconsciously know a little bit anyway, but I think obviously trends and, and such grows and changes. So it's always best to, you know, obviously do research of the books that are coming up now and um, going to your bookshelf. If, you know, you have a load of classics and kind of modelling after one of those is probably not the best idea. But I was just thinking as you you were talking, like you'll start to see things like, color palettes mm-hmm. and um text and things like what there's a charity bookshop near me which i love and i can like i can literally just walk along and look at the spines and i know when i've reached something that interests me mm-hmm. because yeah. like that's because it's designed really well um and the last thing i'll say is that i think people can get very precious over what their book cover looks like but I think it's really important to bear in mind that the book cover is not for you. Yes. It's for the reader. 
it is like it's flagging your like ideal readers down and saying me yeah, yeah. <laughs> pick up me <laughs> yeah i love the um what you said about color palettes and um the reason mm -hmm. i kind of had a, bit of a, a glazed look a second ago is i was just double checking the name of um this service that i've used a few times um which is called kindle trends so Trends is a fantastic uh, it's a newsletter that you sign up to and what that does is depending on your preference of like weekly or monthly it gives you a digest of the top sort of 100 sellers within that category that you've chosen to receive the newsletter from and within that it's got all different things like keywords that are being used a lot in titles it's got color palettes and it will show you like the common colors broken down from the top 100 within that category so you can see sort of um trends and things and um yeah it's just a really good tool to get a bunch of information on covers and as i say it gives you the top 100 so it will save you having to kind of go on amazon because it will just drop straight into your inbox so kindle trends is a fantastic tool um and i think i believe there is a, a cost association associated with that i can't remember uh what it is but it's well worth it like i've used it a few times um and you get a lot of information very very quickly mm. yeah um and yeah, I'm I'm really trying to be cautious here because like I want to go into like working with a cover designer a little bit, and I think we might. Yeah. At the same time, I think that's a whole episode in itself. Probably. Yeah. A, a, another episode that I I wouldn't have much to say other than like my <laughs> untested opinion. Potentially um, a cover designer at that point. We'll see when that episode. Oh, comes. That's true. Potentially. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, some of the main components that make up a good book cover, things to consider. Obviously, you need to pay attention to the imagery. Um, mm -hmm. what kind of background feel you want for your story. Um, I'll nod to Renee Gallant, who's one of our community members and some of her work. She's, uh, it's uh, historical fiction and whispers of deception. Very they are beautiful, but you have like mm. these sort of very soft oranges and golds. You've got like a uh, Scottish castle in the background. It's more so like you very quickly know from looking at it, where it's set, the feel, the tone of what's going on just from the components and the image itself. Yeah. Um, Meg Jolly as well, the friend of ours, like she's very key about particular objects that go on her fantasy covers. So you'll see mm -hmm. like daggers, you'll see serpent's heads, you'll see all these different things. And they don't, like you say, they don't have to be specifically things from your story, but just like notes and hints of stuff that is to come that also works with the design. Um, so imagery is a big thing in there. Um, the whether or not it's a character led cover or like more of a general image led cover because you get um, genres like urban fantasy are very, very character led. You'll yeah. often see sort of like badasses on the front with magic glowing from their hands, bits and pieces like that. Um, horror kind of goes either way. Sometimes you tend to get a lot more abstract covers in horror, um, at least from what I've seen, um, unless you're Stephen King, in which case like <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. Stephen King's cover just needs to have his name on it. Stephen King, it doesn't even need the book title. Just like, this. <laughs> I, I would argue just the word King on it would do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although a word on that, like, so just to show the power of what a book, good book cover can do, there was a guy a couple of years back who made a crap ton of money off Amazon. And I will say like upfront, don't do this. But what he did was his name was Stephen King, but with a V instead of a PH. And he branded it in the way that Stephen King brands his books. So, so thousands, <laughs> thousands of readers were just buying these books and then giving him negative reviews, but he didn't care mm -hmm. getting the money. And obviously like he ended up getting sued and it all got kind of removed, but like, that's the power of a strong book cover. Like people aren't even going to like, they'll just jump into the book and go, yes, that. So it really does matter what it looks like. Yeah. Um, so we've got imagery. Um, we've got obviously sort of characters or image led sort of features. And then uh, the other big thing is typography. Now, yes. 
typography is something I freaking suck at at the minute. Like I've gotten better over the years, but like it's so hard to get typography right. And I think what I see a lot of people doing is finding a really nice image somewhere and they're like, yes, this is exactly my book. And again, I did this the first iteration of um, When Winter Comes. I've got a cover for that that was based just on the image. And then I tried to do the text myself and uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's a psychology, there's a science behind making the text work with an image. Mm-hmm. There's a balance on the page because you can get a lot of covers that are just jam packed with like stuff happening and people and characters. And then you've got these words everywhere and it's too much because yeah, really, and this is why I always advise now working with a book designer. And like, even though I could, like, I feel like I'm at the point now where I could design my own like book covers. I just give it to other people because they just nail it and it saves me a bunch of time. Um, but you really have to like know the psychology of the reader and where the eyes are going on the page. And like, you need to have them, you know, either drawn to the image or drawn to like the title. If you've got a really strong sort of sounding title and then like everything else is layered, like whether you've got like best-selling author on there or like written by whoever's kind of like, um, credited for the story, like whatever, like it, it, it really is just such a psychological science mm-hmm. of covers that if you have a friend who does graphic design for a charity against speaking you very much. Like, <laughs> like, I yes. I oh yeah. Everybody's friend that works for a, a charity. That's a graphic designer. Go yeah. on. Yeah. I but relate. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, we've all got, we've all got friends that like dabble in design these days, but like sure. I, very very long i found a very nice image i gave it to this lovely lady and she did a fantastic job with it in hindsight it wasn't a book cover because she hadn't designed book covers before and like mm-hmm. it seems like such a pretentious or snobbish thing to say but it's absolutely true like if you are a mechanic who is trained to work on like um civilian cars you're likely not going to be as clued up on what it takes to look after a formula one racer yeah or an airplane or an aeroplane like although you could say like they all have the same moving parts generally like don't put a turbine on your ford focus um <laughs> like broadly speaking they are totally different things and it's the same with design it really is and the reason that cover designers like especially like now i just push everyone to a cover designer because there are designers that can cover a broad range of budgets um mm-hmm. is it saves you time and they just know what they're doing and they'll get you so much further than you will if you try and do it on your own yeah yeah i've seen um, I mean, obviously, none of this advice applies if you yourself are a cover designer. Um, but like, I've seen so many people um, say, "Oh, I'm going to design it myself" or design it themselves, and it's it doesn't it doesn't feel or look like you expect a book cover to look. And then what happens is that before anyone has gone anywhere near the story is that they see the book cover and they're like no and they move on it's I use this analogy sometimes I don't really watch these kind of shows um but like if you think of something like um X Factor I don't even know if that's still on like Britain's Got Talent that kind of thing where there's like an audition component at the beginning you as either a watcher or if you're in the audience as the person walks out, yeah. you immediately know whether you can relax or whether you're stressed. Yeah. Immediately, just by how they walk onto the stage. And that walk is your book cover. It's the same thing. A reader immediately knows whether like, they have confidence in you as a writer or not. Is it fair? No, because it, the book is words, not pictures. 
Mm -hmm. I like most of the time anyway but whether it's fair or not is by the by that is exactly what will happen it's the same as when you talk about like uh, front and back matter they might not know why they're suspicious of this book but if something is missing or something doesn't hit um, in the way that particularly traditional published books hit you you are like you're not even fighting a losing battle like you're dead on the battlefield no one is going near it yeah and I wouldn't because I'd be like if you've put that much thought into the book cover how good is the story going to be yeah it's just a disservice to your book like you spend yeah. months and months writing your book editing it making it you know as as good as you can as to a point where you want it to be I just realized my lights changed and I've gone very very orange on the camera anyway. well I I feel like I look like a ghost this entire time I'm like I look like death I and you like, look I've so tan and I just <laughs> And it just, oh, no, I feel um, like I look like a, <laughs> a reaper. But it is a disservice to your book to, like, not give it that final kind of, like, once over just to, you know, because it is, like you say, it's, it's it's the front door to someone coming into your mm -hmm. story. And, like, I, one of the best stories that I've read in the last few years, I wouldn't have picked up unless an author friend of mine, like, very aggressively recommended it to me. Because I was like, it looks shit. Like, the cover wasn't great. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, no, trust me, like the story's good. And this like it it really was. Like I've never read a story that's like made me actually dizzy with like some of the stuff that it does. And I was like literally in bed going like, whoa, like it was <laughs> oh, it was so good. Um but like the point being, like, why go through all that effort and then kind of like fall at that final hurdle? Um Yeah. A friend <clears throat> like a friend that you trust shouldn't have to hard sell you a book. No, and <laughs> just to note as to like for the people that are wondering like if we know what we're talking about like um in one of the recent recent masterminds we worked with um one of our friends through getting like mm -hmm. julie heiner and she got her covers like her redone covers entered into like awards and got into the finals so like a lot of this stuff like it really it really matters like before they even got into the story like they're looking at the visuals and they're looking like mm -hmm. just uh, and they are beautiful covers as well um so yeah like <laughs> there's lots of reasons why you should look at all of this and we, as we say some of the components we got uh imagery typography tropes um i put down sort of like a series of things to consider when looking into what you'd like your cover to be um mm -hmm. and one of those will be um your price point will make a difference to the quality of the cover um there does in my opinion get to a point of diminishing returns depending on which cover artist you work with but if you want to there are people who every now and then they do giveaways of covers and stuff for free, like pre-mades and stuff like that can happen. Not so uh, often. Um, not, it's not worth betting your book on it. No, no. But if you're kind of really stripped, not stripped, if you're really um, strapped, strapped and tight on your budget, uh, you can get pre-made book covers and pre-made book covers are essentially covers that artists have made for clients. And then the clients have, because normally like a, a cover artist might make two or three different variations for someone to pick from. If they don't like them, they don't want those covers to go to waste. So they'll then like repurpose those and you can buy them for a reduced price, which mm -hmm. is what we did exactly for the uh, Bolts of Fiction anthology. We found like mm -hmm. a very sort of literary uh, pre-made that looks in the way that we want it to, because like with the money going to charity, we wanted to reduce the amount of like upfront production costs to claim back before the money then goes out to World yeah. Trust. Um, and there are some fantastic services for pre-made. It's, it's like, I, I spent a good three or four days at one point, very, very heavily searching for horror specific ones. Um, because there are some bad ones, but there are some amazing ones. Um, and I will rep here, like one of my favorite ones that I go to for horror is a website called creativeparameter.com, which we will put in the show notes. There you go, Seth. <laughs> um, but 
Parameter uh, is her first name, and she has done. Uh, I've taken a few pre-mades from her, and actually, it was um, created Parameter that we got the Bolts of Fiction cover from as well. And Ooh. although, like, I love the horror covers that she does, um, she does a whole range of different genres as well. So it's well worth checking that website out. Um, and they they go anywhere from like thirty dollars to one hundred and twenty dollars, depending on like the genre, like how popular they are, um, and all that kind of stuff. So pre-mades are a really really good option, and there are, as I say, a lot of people out there doing some good pre-mades and what I will do is I'll kind of like put a load of links into the bottom for some of the ones that I've used because again like every anthology I've done has been a pre-made cover the omens call the other side has been um pre-mades um the mark of the damned which was one of mine that I've since pulled from publication but that was a pre-made because it just like sometimes like a cover will just speak to you and what yeah. I and actually the the nowhere line which is the book that I'm working on the minute came from a pre-made cover that I bought that I'm no longer using, but it was enough <laughs> to inspire a story from it. Mm-hmm. Which I love the fact that it inspired a story that it can no longer serve. Well, this story kind of took a turn of its own. Um, yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, I don't, like, the original idea would have fit it, but n- no longer. Yeah. Um, so pre-made is, is a great one. Price points. Um, so yeah, if you're tighter on the budget, pre-made is a great option to go. But also. Um, there are services that do very, very reasonable priced covers. So 100covers.com is a fantastic service for um, getting a cover for 100, 100 bucks. And the reason they can do that is they have like a, a team of designers. So like they will put whoever is best for your particular project on that project. And I've worked with them on a few covers. Like they did all the updates for uh, my nonfiction books. And um, they've also done something else which i don't quite remember but like it's been just a joy to work with them they're very easy to work with it's quite a quick turnaround they often will do sales in which it'll be like 50 bucks for um a cover and i'm saying you know dollars and bucks which makes it even cheaper for you uk listeners um, <laughs> i'm getting really orange on this lighting and it's really yeah. I don't like it. what's happening i don't know there we go that's a bit cooler um <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm peeling now there you go um so 100 covers is a fantastic one. You can get stuff for like $100. Um, and then, you know, if you're a member of Alliance of Independent Authors, you get discounts for services like uh, Miblart, who are a Ukrainian-based design company. Again, I've done some stuff with them, and they are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'll pop a load of um, links down below. But like that, you're kind of getting to the 200 300 pound range. And I think realistically for me, I've the most I've ever paid for a cover is £400. Um, and that was for the When Winter Comes cover worth it and it was it was worth it it was absolutely worth it it's beautiful cover yes i'm very happy with it um but again like you can go into some designers will charge a thousand one thousand five hundred two thousand like it really depends you know what it is you're looking for how specific you are and you know what you're willing to pay for it because like there are options all around to make a professional cover but i do like a hundred i'm not sure when a hundred covers sprang up but like i have as i say used them a couple of times and i do tout them for people especially if you're just like you know, dipping your toes in the water and just like seeing about getting started. Like if you've got a reader magnet that you just want something a bit more professional on it, like it's it's a good way to go for a custom cover that won't break your bank. Um, mm-hmm. So that's pricing. Anything else from you, Sam? I don't think so. I think one of my um, kind of low lying fears as someone that hasn't been through this process yet is that when obviously you go onto designers websites, a lot of this stuff looks really good, but I've seen a few times where, and obviously I won't name any names, m- mainly because I can't remember them. Um, 
like a few times where you you've worked with someone and like on their website it looks incredible and then it comes back and I'm like I don't believe that you designed those covers and so that that makes me a little bit apprehensive so I don't know if you you have anything to say on like how you can tell hmm. if like a designer is good or they're just like lying <laughs> so I would I would say that really boils down to communication okay like and again I think that's a whole episodes worth because there's a lot to go into there but like how you communicate your design to a designer will dictate what you get back because yeah i know what you mean like i've seen people who have gone to very very reputable um cover designers and they've been very unhappy with what they've come back with and so this is kind of where a lot of what we've spoken about comes into play because if you can look for like relevant covers that are similar to the kind of thing you're looking for and if you can really do your research up front so that you can present what you're looking at to these people um designers if you will <laughs> then uh, <laughs> then you're more likely to get something professional that fits the bill of what it is that you're looking for and often the other thing as well is that you have to trust a cover designer which i know is difficult especially when you're putting up sort of big amounts of money and mm -hmm. you know i've i've had a cover before which again cost me about 400 pounds that i've not used like i used it in the beginning but it just didn't fit the purpose and in hindsight that was my own fault i didn't i didn't know the genre of that story and that was why the new cover was done for when winter comes um like the original one was perfect for what i told the guy to do but it was definitely on me that i gave the wrong information um in the long run but it's it's your communication up front and then it's also trusting the designer to let them or to believe that they know what's best for your cover because when you start sending back loads and loads of changes like mm -hmm. a couple of things happen like for a start you're already saying you don't trust them um and like i think a few changes is justifiable i think you know tweak this add a bit more of that like i kind of want to add just this element to it cool that's fine but i i know designers have had to deal with like email after email after email you get to a point where it's just like why don't you design it then? Mm -hmm. And there is uh, an untold trick in design that I have seen and I have worked within as well, within like the marketing departments that I've managed with like an internal design team, which is if a client asks for something and you really strongly believe in a particular design, you make that as strong as you can. And then you offer one that doesn't quite match up. And you'll notice that. <laughs> and I've seen that with a few cover designers where like, I'm like, this one's amazing. This one, nowhere near what I was asking for. And they're always like, we're offering this an alternative. And I'm like, don't. Um, <laughs> but like the designers do know what they do. And if you go into like a place that's been recommended, a place that is reputable, you know, like if you can send them an email and like just try and get a general upfront conversation, just ask a few questions and see how they respond, that will tell you a lot. Mm -hmm. And again, like we'll go, like, we'll, we'll cover a lot of that in like another episode, but like, I totally got what you mean. It's, it's a lot of that's just in the communication. Okay which is a whole um the only other thing that uh, i well the only other two things that i put on here to consider um number one is the difference between standalones and series so yes yeah yes. if you are doing a series and you know you're doing a series have an idea of what you want the series generally to look like because each of that book like someone should be able to pick up book six and go oh this is blah blah which was the book that was book one so you know across that story that there's a um continuity a consistency a theme um yeah they all kind of match up like uh, i've not done this on any of my books yet but i really want to do the thing where you have like when all books are collected you have like one mm -hmm. image i love that so much um but yeah it's worth kind of considering series and how they look because also series will often look different to standalones um 
if you are doing a standalone, it's worth considering your brand. Because Ooh. there's something to be said. Um, I've done a lot of like research and digging into this last year or two. There's a lot to be said about having a visual expectation of a reader when it comes to your book. So, for example, um, I am very, very deliberately culturing a mini series at the minute, which is sort of horror novellas that are written in a very particular style. They're all standalones, but they're going to be branded visually in a way similar to if you think of like um, like the Goosebumps series or like mm -hmm. the James Bond books, like they're all technically standalones. Well, yeah, they're, they're technically standalones. Mm -hmm. um, but you pick one up and you know what to expect from the next and the other and the other and the other. And I know a few particularly horror writers who have written a lot of standalones, but just by how they visually look on the front, you're like, okay, for example, that's a Stephen King book or that's mm -hmm. a Jeremy Bates book, or like that's a, uh, an Ian Rob Wright book. They're different stories, but they look the same. And so sometimes if you've like written one standalone, you're looking at the next cover, see if you can have that kind of theme running across your books with enough yeah. to tell that it's a different story. It's funny you say that because as soon as you said like Stephen King, I literally I saw his name because he's it's always the same font, it's always the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, like you, I think if like for example, when I take my glasses off, I'm pretty blind. I think if you like held up two covers that, that had that were the you know same size, all the rest of it, and, and same names, like kind of. I would be able to tell with my blurry vision and not being able to read the text, yep. which was King, just mm -hmm. because it's so iconic and so recognisable as him. Um, it's the same with like the Reacher books. Yes. Lee Child. Um, yeah. Like you just, yeah. I'd, do you know what? I'd never considered that. That's, that's blown my little mind. There you go. Because it's, yeah, it's a clear stamp to the reader that like, this might be a different book, but, but like I've written it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yep, that's oh God, you've taught me something. Who knew? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's 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 a whole lot in that, and like as I say, I've spent a good like year and a half, two years, kind of looking at this, particularly for horror. Um, but people like Jonathan Jans have like amazing covers. Like if you look at Richard Lehman, if you look at um, Nick Cutter, like they've all got very very strong visual brands, even though they write standalone books. Um, and for people, uh, there's a publishing house called Flame Tree publishing that do fantasy and horror and they are fantastic at that as well with their authors in you know branding in a way that it's their own but mm -hmm. it's the genre and it's uh yeah there's a lot a lot to be learned there um and that's on my notes i think so like to sum up what makes a good cover good book cover is a book that converts and sells and makes your reader pick up the book um know your market look at competitors really get a feel for theme and color and text and brand um and then as i said i feel, I feel like profiteering on this episode but i feel like yeah we need to do like i don't want to go into like cover design because it is like or working with a designer because it is just a whole it can be a part two to this can't it yeah we'll do a part two there we go our first ever part two uh -huh. <laughs> will be continued but yeah, really, really do pay attention, not only to what is in your charts, but also how you digest book covers. Like if you're walking around a bookshop, if you're looking online and your eye suddenly goes boom, like why? What is it? Really like take a moment if you can to stop and go like, was it the color? Is it the image? Is it the quality? Is it this? Is it because there are some covers like I, I think I've used this example to you before. This isn't a cover thing, but this is like the design psychology thing. Mm. One of my favorite film posters I've ever seen in my life was the Ant-Man poster. I think it was Ant-Man mm -hmm. and the Wasp. 
And the reason was because you had all these massive poster boards that had like, I don't know, at the time, like King Kong or whatever. They're all very like packed with images. And then there was just Ant-Man written in like the Ant-Man font at the bottom. And the rest of the poster was white, apart from a little black dot in the set in center. And it made me go over to it, look closely. And they just put a tiny little Ant-Man in there. Tiny little Paul Rudd. <laughs> I was like, that is absolutely genius because like, so, oh, that no, that is the extra thing I do want to say. Because sometimes that does, that does subvert your expectation of what to expect. The last thing I will say on this, again, because I've been there and not saying it's a bad thing, you will feel tempted to want to do something different to catch a reader's attention. Mm-hmm. And that different, there's a big chasm between what you're thinking and what's expected, which isn't always a bad thing. One thing that I've learned, and this is all about, this isn't like a hard and fast rule, like you can get away with this and people have if you're an indie, if you're an indie author. Self-published authors will struggle to get away with this as often as traditionally published books like mm-hmm. traditionally published books you might look at that book and go well that doesn't meet any of the conventions of what i've seen online and also well no because they have bookstores and they have shelf space and they have like huge marketing budgets yeah i was gonna so say not... the entire marketing team exactly they're not as bound by as many of the restrictions as we are like as indies it's and again this is always um it's always about um percentages and uh forget the word it's gone it's all yeah it's all about like trying to maximize the chances of something happening and again like you can put out something completely different and i know people that have and they've done very well from it but if you want to maximize the chances of you successfully reaching your readers play the game yeah and what readers want is the same but different different so my my example of that is um and we can put this down in the links as well there you go in the hope that these people haven't changed their book covers but for <laughs> the book cover for my post-apocalyptic horror book that i wrote with luke the rut or they rot um that's a post-apocalyptic book uh john crinshaw's wizard of the wasteland and uh, zach bohannon's dead south are all three books that fit within the post-apocalyptic genre look at the covers they all look somewhat the same but they are all different and so it kind of is a great demonstration as to like what you can do within again the framework of what people expect so yeah i was reading an article about that recently actually about how like um traditional not authors but like publishers because you have to remember that obviously it's not the authors that most of them anyway that have a say on the cover like they have no say on it mm-hmm. um again because it's not for them it's 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 an advertising tool um but yeah, I was reading something about saying that like traditional publishing houses, um, they set the trends, they set the precedents. Mm-hmm. And then like as indies, you'll you'll do wise to kind of follow those. Um and yeah, it's it, it makes sense because like you say, they have all this shelf space, they have all of this advertising budget and huge marketing teams. Um, whereas you're a one man band. So, like, to kind of put yourself in the best position possible is to do your research on what's selling, um, and then and then use that to your advantage. Yep, yep. So, to conclude, look for some book covers, make a bit of a portfolio, and we will see you over on the next conversation. That is all about <laughs> how to work with a cover designer, because. <laughs> Again, like there is a lot to that. And when I was writing the self-publishing blueprint, I thought that chapter was going to be smaller, but actually writing on how to work with a cover designer became a huge thing. Um, 
because speaking design is its own language in itself yeah could um we, yeah we just make it a little bit more like like zazzy could we do I, that it's just missing something cool no. what <laughs> you know what i mean like over no no it's area. weird you know it's weird how i absolutely 100 don't know what you mean yeah yeah uh so we'll round off there for this week i'll put a bunch of resources in the uh, show notes for people for different cover designers and different things that you might find useful um and uh before we sign off just a reminder that flash fiction february kicks off in april um <laughs> <laughs> kicks off in like two days if you're listening to this on the day of launch if not um i don't know when you're listening to this so work it out it's not my job to fix every problem um okay. all right all right calm down <laughs> So, uh, yeah, get involved. Flash Fiction February is activatedauthors.com forward slash flash. Um, and forward there'll be a slash flash. Flash flash. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And I guess there's nothing left to do other than to say a massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you and the time you spend with us each and every week. And as always, if you're looking to level up your writing and activate your author career, head on over to activatedauthors.com to find out all about our community, our resources, and everything else that we've got going on. One more time from myself and from Sam. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Activate your energies.